Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Partially Examined Life Precognitions introduce philosophical topics for upcoming episodes to give you a few weeks to do the reading yourself. They also serve as quick, standalone summaries of the work. You can read more about these topics, get the works we cover, and listen to Partially Examined Life conversations at partiallyexaminedlife.com. Hi, everyone. It's Tamler Summers from the Very Bad Wizards podcast. I'm also a professor of philosophy at the University of Houston, and I'm here to do a precog on one of my favorite topics, free will and moral responsibility. We're going to be discussing three really good articles. First, Freedom and Resentment by P.F. Strawson or Peter Strawson. And second, The Impossibility of Moral Responsibility by Galen Strawson, who's the son of P.F. Strawson. And finally, Responsibility and the Limits of Evil by Gary Watson. Before I get to the articles, I want to get a couple of terminological things out of the way. People talk a lot about free will, and that is the big sexy issue. Do we have free will? Does neuroscience undermine free will? Can we have free will in a deterministic world? But the thing we're really talking about, the interesting issue, is not really about free will, but only as it relates to moral responsibility. And in fact, for the majority of philosophers in the debate right now, free will is defined as the kind of freedom you need to be morally responsible for your behavior. Because moral responsibility is something that we connect to desert, to deserving blame, deserving praise, punishment, reward. And that has crucial real-life implications for human relationships, for criminal justice, for distributive justice, and so on. Okay, on to the articles. And I'm going to start with Galen Strawson's article because it sets up the problem of moral responsibility really nicely. And just to avoid confusion between him and his father, I'll refer to him as Galen. Galen is what we call a skeptic about moral responsibility. He rejects the idea that we can be truly morally responsible for our behavior. But what Galen argues in this paper and in other work is that we can't be truly morally responsible for our actions, regardless of whether determinism is true or not. All right, why not? Why can't we be morally responsible? Well, Galen gives several versions of what he calls the basic argument against moral responsibility. The central idea is that in order to be morally responsible for our actions, in order for it to be fair or appropriate to, say, blame us for when we do something bad, we would have to be responsible for at least some part of our character because we act in a certain way because of who we are. So now it would seem like we have to be responsible for who we are. If it's not your fault that you're a bad person, then how can it be your fault that you performed a bad action. 
The issue is that we can't be responsible for any part of our character, according to Galen Strauss, and so we can't be responsible for our action. So now the first response is, I can too be morally responsible for my character. I am responsible for who I am, at least in part. So then there's the question, well, how would we acquire this responsibility? I mean, after all, we're not responsible for our DNA. We're not responsible for how our parents raised us. I think the reasoning is supposed to go like this. You say, yeah, okay, I have a certain heredity and I have circumstances that I grew up in. And yes, they shaped my character to a large extent. But then I get to a certain age and I make choices. Because of these choices I make, once I reach a certain level of maturity, those shape my character in a certain direction. And that allows me to be responsible for what I do. It's sort of like the old saying, you're not responsible for the hand you're dealt, but you're just responsible for how you play the hand. Right. So my genes, my environment, that's like the hand I'm dealt. But then these choices that I make once I reach this level of maturity, that's the way I play the hand. And that's what I'm responsible for. So Strassen does a good job of showing why this kind of response doesn't work. And the basic idea is that there's no distinction between your hand and how you play it. How you play the hand is part of your hand. He says, you start out in life, it's just undeniable when you're at a certain age, whether you're an infant, that you can't be responsible for who you are. And you cannot, at any later stage of life, hope to accede to true moral responsibility by trying to change the way you are as a result of heredity and previous experience. Four, both the particular way in which you're moved to try to change yourself and the degree of your success in your attempt at change will be determined by how you already are as a result of heredity and experience. And any further changes that you can bring about after you've brought about the certain initial changes will in turn be determined via the initial changes by heredity and previous experience. So the idea is, yes, we can change the way we are, but the claim is only that people can't change themselves in such a way as to become truly or ultimately morally responsible for the change. Those first choices that you make that, that, that shape your character in a certain way, well, why did you make those choices? Once you start looking at why you made those choices, you'll realize that you can't be responsible for those choices. You made the choice because you had a certain type of character. So if you're going to be responsible for those choices, you'd have to be responsible for your character. And that just moves the problem back a step and back and back until you're a child or an infant. And you admit yourself that you don't have any responsibility for your character. The problem is for many people, it's just really an uncomfortable conclusion. It is a conclusion that they don't want to accept. As Galen says, the evident consequence of the basic argument is that there is a fundamental sense in which no punishment or reward is ever ultimately just. It is exactly as just to punish or reward people for their actions as it is to punish or reward them for the natural color of their hair or the natural shape of their faces. The point seems obvious, and yet it contradicts a fundamental part of our natural self-conception, and there are elements in human thought that move very deeply against it. We rebel. Okay, so then how can we reject the basic argument? Well, the most common response is to accept that we can't be ultimately responsible for our character, but claim that we can still be morally responsible for our actions. The people who, who assert this are called compatibilists. Another is to take the libertarian route. 
So libertarians agree with Galen that we have to acquire ultimate responsibility for our characters in order to have free will and moral responsibility for our behavior. But they think we can do this, that we can acquire ultimate responsibility. The problem with libertarianism is if you're a libertarian, you have to embrace a metaphysics that is obscure and panicky. Libertarians are unable to explain how indeterminism of any kind, how that would help someone acquire ultimate responsibility for their character. Now I want to turn to to Galen's father, P.F. Strawson, and to freedom and resentment. Let me say first that I think this is the best philosophy article of the last hundred years. This is a brilliant, endlessly rich article. I learn something new every time I read it. If I didn't hate this term with every fiber of my being, I would call this article a game changer. All right, so what's going on in this article? So Strawson starts out saying that what he wants to do is reconcile optimists and pessimists on the free will and responsibility problem. The optimists are the type of compatibilists that held that blaming and praising and holding responsible in general can be justified because they have good consequences. So when you blame somebody for bad behavior, that can help shape them in the proper way. And when you praise them for good behavior, same thing, right? So like with children. Now, all of that is compatible with the truth of determinism. So the optimists are compatibilists. The pessimists are libertarians. And the genuine moral skeptic, which Strawson mentions at a couple of junctures in his paper, those are really just moral responsibility skeptics, like his son Galen turned out to be. Strawson says, I agree with the pessimist that blame and praise and responsibility, all of that is about more than just shaping people in a certain way. The question is whether someone can deserve blame or praise. On the other hand, he agrees with the optimist that the metaphysics of the pessimists are ludicrous. They're inane. And he says, I'm going to try to bring these two groups together by focusing on just our ordinary human practices and interpersonal attitudes, and now I'm quoting, of people directly involved in transactions with each other, of the attitudes and reactions of offended parties and beneficiaries, of such things as gratitude, resentment, forgiveness, love, and hurt feelings. Now, these attitudes are essentially responses to the quality of other people's will. This may sound fancy, but essentially the point is just that we expect people to have a certain respect or a certain regard for us. And so it matters to us, quote, whether the actions of other people reflect attitudes towards us of goodwill, affection, or esteem on the one hand, or contempt, indifference, or malevolence on the other what he will later call the reactive attitudes. Our judgments about blame and praise and responsibility for Strassen are constituted by these attitudes. So if you step on my hand, I'll resent you and I'll hold you responsible for that. But then if I realized you were pushed into me and were trying to avoid it, I'll judge that you weren't responsible, which is just an expression of the subsiding of my resentment. And according to Strawson, part of being in a real human relationship is feeling these attitudes in response to other people's actions. In contrast to the reactive attitudes, however, we can also sometimes look upon people with what he calls the objective attitude. Just like the reactive attitudes 
constitute judgments that people are morally responsible. The objective attitude is the one we take when we don't hold people responsible. So we might think that they committed a bad action. We want to make sure that they don't do it to us again, but we don't think it's their fault. We don't hold them responsible. So now that he's framed the issue like this, with responsibility judgments being just expressions of the reactive attitudes, the whole compatibilism question gets reformulated. Could or should the acceptance of the determinist thesis lead us always to look upon everybody exclusively in the objective way? And now Strassen is asking, well, does the truth of determinism entail that you should look upon everybody and take the objective attitude towards everybody, your wife, your husband, your kids, your best friend? And Strassen says, no, that's ridiculous. And there are two parts to his answer. The first is he thinks it's just impossible. It's just impossible for us to do. He says, a sustained objectivity of interpersonal attitude and the human isolation, which that would entail, does not seem to be something of which human beings would be capable, even if some general truth were a theoretical ground for it. So that's the first part of his answer. It's just not possible. It would be too radical a change in how we regarded other people and how we regarded our relationships with them. But the second part is also interesting. He says, there are times when we do take the objective attitude, but when we do, it's never because of any kind of theoretical or metaphysical truth, uh, like the truth of determinism. It's always something far more specific. We take the objective attitude again because someone is insane, or maybe because they just didn't mean to perform the action, or because they haven't slept for two days, they're under pressure at work, whatever it is. But the truth of determinism doesn't entail that everyone is insane or everyone is underslept or everyone is performing their actions unintentionally, etc. So that's the second part of the answer is that when we do take the objective attitude, it's not because we think, oh, determinism is true. So ultimately, the causes behind that person's actions trace back to factors beyond their control. So then, at least according to Strawson, we have our answer to the question of whether determinism poses a threat to moral responsibility. It doesn't. So this is, in the end, his point. The attitudes, the general framework of the reactive attitudes is just a given if you're part of human society. All right, I got to stop there. If you want to hear me ramble more, but with somebody else who can interrupt me, we talk about Strawson on the first two episodes of the Very Bad Wizards podcast. You can find that at verybadwizards.com. All right, thanks. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.